Welcome, everyone, to the Junction City Podcast. I'm your host today, John Miles. With me over there, I've got Colby Peterson. Colby Peterson. <clears throat> and Dan Martinez is hiding his face. Dan Martinez. What's up? There we go. And our special guest today, candidate in the Congressional District 1 race, Miss Jamie Cheek. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being on. Absolutely. It's my joy. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think we've all met you before because you came to Drinking Liberally probably three or four months ago now. Um, so you've been mm-hmm. uh, you've been at this this campaign thing at least for a little while, right? Do you, Since uh, September. Okay, nice. All right, cool. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. But um, first, let's just kind of talk about who you are, where you come from, that kind of stuff. So I can't even remember. Um, where do you – are you working right now? Like <laughs> I, what I mean is – uh, where do you work? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, so I actually work for the state of Utah. I am a district director with the Utah State Office of Rehabilitation with the Department of Workforce Services, which is a really long name, uh, but it means that I manage a million-dollar budget. Uh, I manage over 15 employees, um, and we work towards helping people with disabilities find employment to increase their independence. Okay. So you're actually an employee of the state of Utah. Yeah, I had to uh, get approval that I didn't violate the Hatch Act before I decided to run. I was wondering. All right. <laughs> man, um, I hate the Hatch Act so much, man. I hate it so oh, yeah. much. It's such a joke. Repeal the Hatch Act, folks. Repeal <laughs> it. Call Mike Lee. Call Mitt Romney. Tell him to get rid of that crap. And uh, so are you Weber County? Do you live in I, Weber County? I actually live uh, above 36. I'm like two minutes from Weber State. Oh, okay. Wildcats. Nice. And you grew up here? Um, nope. I'm actually born and raised from rural Wyoming. Uh, I had my hometown has 3,000 people in it. And my graduating class had 42. Awesome. Oh. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, wow. And, yeah. and so, what about like political background? Have you, were you involved in politics before this or? Um, yeah. What? So, yeah. <laughs> so I've always been a Democrat. I know it's weird being from rural Wyoming uh, and being a Democrat, but always been blue, always registered as a Democrat. Um, we always thought it was enough for a long time to just be like a consistent voter. So like I've never missed a primary, never missed a local election. Um, but I think 2016 kind of showed us that that's not enough anymore. And so um we, my husband and I, decided to make a commitment to start helping local politics here um, in Ogden. Um, and so we actually helped a little bit with um, Lee Castillo's run in 2018. Uh, my husband is a precinct captain for where he lives for Weber Dems. Um, and so we've kind of just been like involved at like the super micro level. Um, and so it's always been exciting. It's always been what can we do to help make things better? And so I think. Here in 20, well, we decided to turn in 2019. That's when we decided to take the big jump into politics. Wow. All right. And um, so talk a little bit about, uh, well, I mean, let's just kind of talk about how it's been so far. Like what, um, what has campaigning looked like, especially, you know, late last year where People don't even realize there's an election going on. I'm guessing you didn't even know there was a primary that you were going to be dealing with. And so uh, so what was it like at, at that point, kind of dipping your toe into it? Yeah. So uh, in July, Rob Bishop said he wasn't running anymore. And we said, huh, 
why don't we see what we can do about that? Um, and then, you know, about five minutes later, about four Republicans had announced. <laughs> and so right. we we're like, no, seriously, there needs to be someone here. And so we reached out um, to Lee to see if he was going to run. Um, and then we kind of just realized there was really, you know, no one that was gunning for it. So we said, why not? Let's do this. Um, and so it's been exciting. Um, it was, it's much different second half than it was first half. Because um, I think... Sure. <laughs> before March, uh, before the filing deadline, kind of anyone can say that they're running for Congress, right? All it takes is an op-ed or <laughs> a press release. Facebook Nobody page. cares. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. So like everyone's running for Congress. Um, so for a long time, there was like three Democrats. Um, and even the, my opponent didn't even show up till probably February. Um, but then March came, the filing deadline came, and only two of us filed. <laughs> so that was real. Um, and so, yeah, so the last couple months, I think, have been a little bit more exciting because it's not just kind of shouting into the universe. Uh, it's been able to talk to actual delegates, talk to actual voters. Um, the town hall that we did at the Utah Democratic Party was awesome. Um, I felt like it was a really good format to kind of show both candidates. Um, and they asked really good questions. Um, and we had like over 2,500 views, which, you know, blew me away. So, so that was... I'm actually not familiar with it. The, the state Democratic Party did a town hall? Yeah, so in the world of COVID, uh, and we weren't going to be able to have our big conventions, uh, they actually did a really good job to host town halls with any races that had contested primaries at the convention. So um, they did one for CD2, CD3, um, CD1, obviously. And then um, the governor's race, they had like all six of them on there. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And I mean... So you being uh, involved early on, you got a chance to get out and actually meet voters where I think a lot of people who were in contested races at convention really, I mean, they probably thought that they could wait until closer to convention when it was more on top of people's minds. And then obviously mm -hmm. you couldn't even talk to anybody. It was like a scramble to contact people. So, um, yeah. so I imagine you benefited pretty well from getting the, the game going early and meeting people early and. It was kind of funny because there would be weekends where my husband and I would have to split events because there were so many things that we needed to get done. Um, and now they all kind of just happen in this office. I, I travel the state virtually <laughs> at all opportunities. Um, but it was really nice because I think that we really got enmeshed with some of the really big, um, important playmakers that are happening in the Democratic Party. But particularly in the Weber County Dems, we've been able to do a lot of different events um, and kind of get our name, get our faces out there, um, which was really beneficial. Um, I think, you know, not being able to do door knocking, um, kind of unfortunate when we looked at the delegate list, but we did do phone calls and that was actually really pleasant. Like most candidates hate call time, but like, I love just calling people and being like, what matters to you? Let's talk about it. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I imagine you're talking to Democrats at that point. So you can have some nice, you know, like non-confrontational conversations. <laughs> exactly. We kind of. We kind of largely agree on most things. So it's more like the finer points. Uh, so it's not any of those sort of scary calls. It's a nice, it's a nice warm up for sure. Um, I was yeah. wondering, I was wondering, so as you made some of those calls, um, did you find that most of the folks were, because uh, I mean, this was, so just for clarity for the JC peeps, this was right before uh, the state convention, which was a couple of weeks ago, which was held virtually sort of. Uh, like basically, we just uh, had a like a non-convention. Yeah, we had a like ballot. Some emails. Guy, 
yeah they got emailed and you know we got and then you could go to the specific website and watch uh videos Videos from the candidates which good job on having one because i went through all of those and there were a lot of candidates that didn't even submit a video it was like guys Mm -hmm. just pull out your phone and just shoot it man like you gotta have something and a lot of people didn't even do that and it was like wow man that's crazy but as you as you went through those calls and like you said, you were, you were making chatting to Democrats and especially active Democrats who were state delegates. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you talk about how did you feel that, you know, the phone calls were more effective? Like talk a little bit about your process. What, you know, did you send an email first and then you did the phone calls? Did you send texts? Like, like what was that experience like? Because in the time of COVID campaigning is so much different now. Yes. Uh, very different. Well, it's kind of funny. So we had like done some preparation in January and February for all these conventions and all these caucus nights. So we had printed like 2000 postcards uh, and then they all got canceled. And they're like, what are we literally going to do with these? So then we had to buy envelopes and stamps. So save the USPS. Uh, and so we sent out about 450 of these postcards. Um, and so that was great. Um, it was interesting because we did do a lot of emails um, specifically just to the delegates list. So we have like a separate list with like 2,500 um, of our followers on it. But this was just for the 450 people who were state delegates. Um, so we did two or three of those. But when we came to call time, um, we it was me and my deputy campaign manager. We were the only ones who were doing calls. Um, and I kind of, we had the first week that we did the calls, Summit County actually had their own town hall and they invited candidates too. So I called every single delegate in Summit County, uh, A, to remind them of the town hall, but B, just to see um, com- some of the things that matter to them. And kudos to Summit County, because not only did all of them like know who I was, <laughs> uh, they had like really interesting questions. Like it was like they were, they're like some of the most informed voters that I got to talk to. And they, and they actually answered the phone, like probably at the highest rate of any county that we engaged with. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then we went to Weber County um, and just kind of went, you know, through the list. I, I had that day job, 40 hours a week, so I was calling at night. <laughs> uh, and so it, and honestly, sometimes they say calling at night isn't great because people are doing things, but again, people are at home. <laughs> so, yeah, so we actually got a pretty good response rate, which was nice. And so I'm curious, you said that you <laughs> did some volunteering for Lee Castillo. Um, <laughs> Does it feel like you expected it to feel like? No. <laughs> I think it's it's really different when it's like your name. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's been exciting. Honestly, I, I did a little bit. My husband did probably a lot more, but he helped him uh, for the debates and, and some of that messaging. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. When you, when you have things like a town hall and you, you have it, and then later you go read the comments, and you're like, people are saying this about, like, a human being? <laughs> you're like, wow, bold. <laughs> well, yeah, so some of that feedback is... And, I, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Like, I've I've talked about a lot of candidates before, but once it's your name, and once you're, mm-hmm. like, staying, trying to, like, say good stuff about you and convince people about you, and then it feels, like, just unnatural mm-hmm. and, like, the opposite yeah. of how you would approach anybody (laughs) that is exactly i'm always it's so funny because when we started doing this i was like i had a lot of imposter syndrome like i'm like how how do people do this they've been planning this their whole lives and you're like no congress is made up of the people and so like we are people too and we are as informed as we can be and kind of just getting to talk to people 
I think that helped to build up the confidence to like have these conversations and not be afraid of questions or worried about what people are going to say and just kind of be like, I have a very big personality and generally you either like me or you hate me. Uh, so, you know, it's fine. Why? I shouldn't be surprised if that's magnified. Uh, <laughs> run for office. <laughs> that's all right. And so what kind of, like, what has it been? Has it been a lot of going to events that are there? Has it been a lot of kind of cold calling people? Uh, I mean, what's the bulk of it? Yeah, so kind of what we realized is um, you just got to get out there. Uh, that you can kind, you can have your people who signed up to your listserv, who like your Facebook page, but those aren't the 12,000 people who are going to make a decision at the end of June. And so we've just been trying to think of ways that we can be out and about and let people, you know, just talk to me or tell me what matters to them. Um, and so we've been developing a lot of those opportunities for ourselves. So reaching out to networks to see if they would like to chat with us uh, <laughs> and see if there are important issues for them. Um, and just kind of, you know, we're working on a mailer. Uh, I can do that pitch at the end, but really that's our big fundraising effort right now uh, is to build up the funds to do a mailer to all 12,000 people who voted in 2018, uh, as well as um, some of the more um, active Demo Democrats we have in the primary. Um, so that's kind of, and we're hoping to do that before. So also our debate has officially been scheduled with the Utah Debate Commission, uh, and that's going to be June 1st. Oh, great. Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this so is a good, to go out. good opportunity here to, to, so we've been talking about um, potentially hosting uh, a JCP debate uh, before that one. Um, yeah. So something to look forward to JC peeps, um, Jamie, and I haven't talked to Darren about this yet, but Jamie has graciously agreed. And so uh, if we can get that going. We're hoping to have that um, a, at least a week, hopefully two before the debate commission does their debate. So that that way there's a little bit of time in between for folks to, you know, think about yeah. what, what gets said at the debate and then, you know, folks can follow up with questions at the debate commission's big official thing. Yeah. Um, have, they, have, have they said whether or not they plan for that to be in person, the, the debate commission's debate? Yeah. So it's going to be down at the university of Utah. Um, it's probably just going to be like me, Darren and the camera guy. <laughs> right, <laughs> no, yeah, no, uh, audience. <laughs> yeah. That's what we were thinking of doing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it'll just be me laughing at my own jokes, but it'll be great. <laughs> Bring a laugh track. Bring your own life track. In Bring the background, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Play it whenever he talks. Okay, so, um, uh, well, I, I had a real question until I thought of that joke. <laughs> um, oh, okay. What do you? Uh, so, so, coming from rural Wyoming, mm -hmm. how do you feel like? I know because CD one is a lot of different areas. Where where are you on rural Utah? Yeah, so uh, also something to keep in mind is I actually worked uh, in Logan and Brigham City for four years. So those are, are my backyard. I've what about in, Tremont? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> so Tremont <laughs> does not have a Department of Workforce Services office. However, we know that they are significantly underserved and that they have to either go to Logan or Brigham City for our services. And so we actually did an outreach opportunity with Bear River Mental Health where they let a VR counselor sit in one of their offices to do new intakes and also take appointments. And my goal when I was up there as the district director was to someday get something where we could have at least a part-time counselor up there because it, it's not reasonable for them to have to drive, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes to get services. Like, that's not okay. 
So you're saying Tremont's not worth it? No, they absolutely are worth it. <laughs> Shut up, Kobe. are not getting the services. <laughs> Sorry. They're real people too, Kobe. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that, was, that was solely for Dan. No, Tremont is a beautiful place. We went there two weeks, or, yeah, two weeks ago. It was great. Mm-hmm. They have a beautiful, the Bear River High School. Is a, I think that's what it's called. Uh, Bear River Bears. Yeah, it's big and beautiful. And they have a stuff there down in the lobby. <laughs> Did you just shout River of Bears? Bear <laughs> River Bears. Go Bears. <laughs> So, oh. yeah, uh, Wait, is that your have you talked to a lot of constituents alma out there? I mean, what are they uh, – de- I mean, Democrats specifically. It's hard to find Democrats in rural Utah anyway. Um, <laughs> but what are they saying? Yes. Or what are you hearing from them? Yeah, so um, so when we look at the CD1 map, uh, we cover nine and a half counties. There's probably only about five or six of them that even sent us a delegates list. Uh, and so in some of those more rural parts of Utah, like – Jagged, Duchesne, uh, Rich. Uh, there, you know, we know there are Democrats there. We've done our, you know, voter analysis, so they exist. <laughs> I just think they don't get as much support from the party as we would hope. Um, so they don't have as much of a, of a platform to speak from. So when we when we tried calling, um, you know, talking about issues, you know, that mattered to them were important: healthcare, internet access. Um, you know, a lot of the issues that, that I saw every day uh, working with those individuals were definitely things that they brought up. Yeah. And what are the issues that you sort of initially plan to focus on for your campaign? Yeah, so I have kind of my big three um, that we've been working on. It was funny because when we were doing delegate calls, we, we, we have vote builders. So we had like the survey and it had like 12 options um, to like click when we talk to people. And most of the time, those 12 options did not fully encompass <laughs> what people wanted to talk about. Um, so that was that was kind of interesting. But yeah, so my big pitch, uh, as I talk about healthcare, it needs to be more accessible, it needs to be more affordable. Um, we have to do something different. We're the only country where millions of people lost their jobs and also lost their healthcare, and then we didn't do anything about it. We didn't reopen the marketplace. We didn't give people access. Uh, and so it's like a double whammy. And, you know, we have literally people dying in the streets and we're not doing anything about it. So I think this shows us the cracks that we have in our healthcare system uh, and, and we have to be better about it. Um, the other thing that I talk a lot about is education. Um, I think, uh, especially in Utah, where we spend the least amount of money per student, uh, we have to be better about that. Um, I also am a big proponent of education above the K through 12. Um, really, education is the best mechanism for people to be able to, you know, do the pull yourself by your bootstraps and get your access to the American dream because education gives us training and knowledge uh, that we otherwise don't have. Um, I'm a shining example of that. Again, grew up in rural Wyoming uh, and I had the opportunity to go to college because I qualified for a Pell Grant and I got a debate scholarship. And so, you know, those were opportunities that otherwise I shouldn't have had. There's a lot of people from my hometown who, you know, you, you get married and, and you have a family and that's kind of what you get. And so education gave me something that, that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And then um, kind of the other third big piece um, that we talk about is the environment. Um, I know it's a really big um, push for our Salt Lake City uh, Democrats, but also I think it's a big deal here up in CD1. Uh, We have inversion down in Salt Lake City, but also Logan gets it pretty regularly as well. Um, Utah has two of the top 20 most polluted cities in the country. uh, So we have to be doing something better uh, and so that's been a big push for me as well, that we need environmental policies that'll actually make a difference, um, that we have to, you know, we're in a climate crisis. It's a real thing. And we have to take progressive, distinct action to be able to sort of avert the, the apocalypse that's coming. 
you know, that whole time I was expecting at least one of those to be like the economy or like homelessness or those kind of like, you know, the, the mm-hmm. workforce services related things. But I love that what you did is you did healthcare and education, which are two major contributors to that problem and not, you know, mm-hmm. it's maybe not where your mind would immediately go, but it's where your mind goes if you're kind of involved in it and you understand how it's going. So right. I love that. And- <laughs> What's interesting is we were looking up today, because uh, one of the questions they always ask you is like, if you get to Congress, where, where do you want to spend your time or what committees do you want to work on? We actually were looking and the healthcare and labor uh, group is so in my wheelhouse. It is shocking. <laughs> like It's like literally the group that authorizes my federal agency as well as uh, funding at the state level. And it's just, and so it's healthcare and, uh, or education and labor. Uh, and so it's just like two of my big pieces, just like, you know, bundled up in perfectness. I was like, yes, that is exactly where my expertise lies. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm curious, has that stuff like changed uh, the issues? Have have they changed much since you've been talking to people? Or, I mean, I imagine you're still focusing on the same things, but maybe, I don't know, mm-hmm. have they changed? No, that's a good question. So two things. Uh, one is when we talk about healthcare, um, you know, kind of the like progressive test is do you support Medicare for all, which Obviously, the answer is overwhelmingly yes. Um, but one of the things that I talked to a lot of delegates about, and they largely agreed with me, is that Medicare for all is obviously the goal, but it's going to take us a lot of work to get there. And so talking about what kind of policies and changes we can do now to get us to Medicare for all. So whether that's public option where we force insurance companies to compete with the federal government for, for policy access, uh, it's kind of like it's incremental. Like ACA was hugely progressive when it first came through and we've been fighting it every day since. So we just need to make sure that we have a successful path forward when we look at healthcare. Um, and then an issue that I've always, you know, felt strongly about that has become a little bit more uh, that we talk about more frequently in this campaign because of who uh, my opponent is, is public lands, um, which is something that obviously you can't be a Utah Democrat if you're not uh, in support of protecting public lands. And, and, you know, what we've been saying since day one is, you know, unequivocally, we will always uh, vote and, and, you know, advocate for the protection of public lands, especially uh, in the state of Utah, where we have, you know, so many beautiful lands that need to be protected. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. Okay, well, one of the Jamie, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. Um, so, kind of a hobby horse that I've had for a while is I, I truly believe in this internet infrastructure thing. Like, I I see the internet as a public utility. Uh, we we had a call with uh, Dan's sister Jessica the other day, and she said, yeah, she said she was volunteering for your campaign and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, man, that is so great that you know. And she said, you know, the internet should be treated as a public utility and regulated as such. And I was like, yes. And so the question that I've had for a lot of elected officials, if you listen to the show or candidates that we've had on the show is, you know, what what would you do to help bring internet infrastructure to whatever, you know, area you would represent? And in your case, that's CD1, which has a fair bit of rural communities. Um, mm-hmm. You know, talk, talk, about, talk about that, like talk about your views on broadband and the internet and the role that it can play in our society for, especially for rural communities. I think you do a lot of it right there, Colby, which is that, yeah, absolutely, internet needs to be a utility. Everyone should have access to the internet. Um, it's one of those things that, A, helps us build communities, which we've seen in a world where we're all stuck at home <laughs> all day. Uh, it allows us access to opportunities. We have students going to school um, entirely online. We have people going to work entirely online. Um, and I also think that internet can provide opportunities for us to 
solve other larger problems, right? Like if we implemented more telecommuting in the state of Utah, which to their fair benefit, they are trying to do more of that, but like at a huge scale, we can downsize pollution uh, by a lot. We can move people into rural communities and help build those smaller economies rather than forcing everyone to live in Salt Lake City on the bench uh, and, it, you know, making pollution worse, making housing crisis worse, uh, incre- improving, or not improving, making the homelessness a worse problem. Um, and so internet is kind of like that access point for how we can start to build these communities in a more rural and, and in a better infrastructure. So as as a, as a representative, that is definitely an A-plus priority. I think that if you represent rural communities, you have to be fighting for access and making it affordable um, for all individuals, but especially our rural communities that struggle with so many other commodities, um, that internet kind of has to be that number one priority. Yeah, it's great. I agree 100%, you know, because like the, the example that, you know, sort of sparked this in my mind was Blanding. Blanding has a Utah State extension down there. Um, but they, they've struggled, right? Because, you know, th- there's basically the extraction industry down there and that's about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of communities, what you need is an injection of value of money, essentially, and that like mm-hmm. those those communities can thrive. And so it's like, how do we bring money from the Silicon Slopes to Blanding? Because you could be getting a computer science degree at Utah State, graduate, mm-hmm. work for Adobe, but live in Blanding, you get off work, you know, just like you said, you go into mm-hmm. town, you buy some bread at the local bakery, you buy some meat at the local grocery store. That community can thrive with the telecommuting that you're talking about. It's, Absolutely. Um, and I think we see it in some of our other rural communities. Like when we when we do push some of those jobs to the rural, it it create it makes a better quality of life for the individuals who are, you know, not having to fight traffic for two hours to drive to work or, you know, having to, oh God, you know, they yeah. lose time. I had an hour-long commute each way for four years. <laughs> like that is soul-sucking. Uh, and so being able to, you know, work from home and, and not have that commute time and not add to the environment and, you know, just have that access and build those relationships in your community, um, I think are just so important. So we kind of just glossed over your uh, employment at the beginning. And I just kind of wanted to go back to that because, so I, I got that it was workforce services. And I think you said, uh, director of, of it's a uh, long name. <laughs> tell it to yeah. me again, please. Yes. No, you're fine. So the formal title is district director for the Utah state office of rehabilitation for the department of workforce services. So, so we're talking workforce rehabilitation. Um, so it's like workforce services, and then they have like their different divisions. So they have like unemployment insurance, they have workforce development, and then they have um, USOR, Utah State Office of Rehabilitation. And so um, you might remember we were in the news a few years ago. Uh, we were under the Department of Ed, and then Department of Workforce Services kind of kind of took us over. Um, and so we've been with them for probably about four years now. I see. So I mean, it's not like work-related rehabilitation it's like it's like rehab it's like a, like drug related um so yeah so th- for our service for our, our program uh you do have to be eligible and there are four criteria uh the first is that you have to be an individual with a disability um so substance abuse is a disability that that is recognized by our agency um physical disabilities other mental health disabilities um and then the other, other components is that that disability has to create an impediment to your employment so say somebody has diabetes, but they've been able to work for 20 years, that diabetes isn't creating an impediment to their employment. Um, but if somebody um, has anxiety and they're not able to work in crowds, and so they, you know, they're able to get a job, but then they only stay there for two weeks because it just becomes really overwhelming for them, that shows us that there's a difficulty for them to maintain employment because of their disability. And so that would make them 
potentially eligible for our program. And so then what we do, if you're eligible, um, employment is the big focus for our um, agency, which is that we're putting people with disabilities into employment to increase their independence. Um, and so, yes, it is definitely work-related, um, but we provide services around that so they can go to work. Right, right. So there's like, um, you know, you may not be able to perform one certain type of job, but there may be a lot. And so you're helping to find them those kind of jobs. Mm -hmm. stuff. Okay. Yeah, so we do education, we do training, um, we help them with self-advocacy. So how do you ask for an accommodation? How do you know what an accommodation is? Um, we do um, you know, job placement and development services. So we call I call it the grind when you like filling out resumes, sending applications, doing interviews. Um, so we work with individuals, we partner with um, community rehabilitation programs to help individuals with disabilities kind of through that process um, so that they can get jobs. And then we also provide job coaching for them on the job so that they can learn how to do it and have a support um, for as long as they need. Wow. <clears throat> you know, I think I'm not saying anything crazy to say people love to sort of uh, not really pay attention to the uh, unemployment problem that we have. And a lot of times they just like to sort of paint it with the brush of laziness or whatever. But so they mm -hmm. kind of just sweep it under the rug and most people just don't even look at it. But mm -hmm. the people that you're working with are the people that like are specifically the ones that they're not looking at that are like really the ones that the whole thing is designed to help for the most part. But then these are the people who end up falling through the cracks. Exactly. So we, you know, before COVID, we had one of the best unemployment rates in the country. Um, but that was for, you know, people who were able to access employment. And so we, you know, the unemployment rate for people with disabilities, <clears throat> excuse me, is, you know, in the 20, 20%. Uh, and it's because they don't have the supports they need to be able to go to work. So we kind of break down those barriers so that they can access the workforce, uh, but also be successful in the employment opportunities that they want. Interesting. Very good. So, uh, Jamie, I had one more question. Um, we we mm -hmm. sort of talked about this in the beginning. We talked a, a little bit about healthcare, and I, I wanted to ask about. Um, so, I'm from the rural part of the county. I'm from uh, Plain City originally, and then later we moved to Roy. And one of the one of the things that we got recently out, kind of in our neck of the woods, before we moved to Davis County, was uh, they built a hospital, small community hospital on 2700 North, um, mm -hmm. and uh, we we ended up using that hospital a couple of times. Um, and I wanted to ask, like, uh, as as a, as a congressional representative, like, what uh, what do you think the, the federal government can do to help with some of those um, more rural, smaller hospitals? Like, what can they do to shore up that kind of network? Because a lot of times they're closing because they're not necessarily profitable. Um, mm -hmm. And so, like, what can the government do to make sure that people have that access? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we need to stop seeing healthcare as a profitable industry. Uh, we need to stop putting value on humanity. Uh, and so I think that access is really important. And in, in the world of our current healthcare system, we see rural hospitals closing down all the time, which means yeah. literally where I uh, grew up, the closest hospital was an hour and a half away. Uh, my nieces were born. <laughs> they live in Montana, but the closest hospital they could be born in was in Gillette, Wyoming. So they had a 90 minute drive. <laughs> could you imagine being in labor and like in the middle of the winter <laughs> and helping you can get to a hospital to give birth? Like that's not okay. Uh, and so I think as your representative, it's important that we provide an infrastructure for these hospitals to provide services and that if the federal government has to subsidize the services that they do provide, then that's exactly what we should be doing. And I think when we look at healthcare as a, as a big picture and how 
we get people more access and we, we can use that to fund things like rural hospitals because it's not a question of how much money can you get from a client or, or from a patient or, you know, what's the bottom line. Um, it's more healthcare is a right and we need to start looking at how do we provide access so we're not a sick care system, that we're a healthcare system. And so I think that we kind of have to rethink the entire way that we let healthcare and insurance companies function. Like one of the favorite things I think Elizabeth Warren said is like, insurance companies don't have a right to a profit. And so we need to do something to, to stop making that the focus because that's not the point of why healthcare exists. It's to make people better. Yeah, and I love what you're saying right there about the, the proactive nature because you know in the United States, especially with health, like we're so reactionary and it's so much more expensive when you're reactionary. Like I think about when I go to the dentist, uh, if I don't show up for my, you know, my monthly or my every six month, my cleanings, I have the potential for much, much more major, you know, dental work mm -hmm. to be done because I didn't take care of the, you know, the, the um, preventative uh -huh. stuff during the time. I mean, and so we don't do that yeah. with healthcare at all. Right. Like there are lots of sick people, like they only show up to the doctor when they're super sick and it's like, well, what didn't you I actually have a shining example of that. I mean, it's not shining, but um, my family, we were on uh, Medicaid for, you know, a large source loss of my childhood. Uh, my mom was on Medicaid and there's kind of like this shame that's associated with being a Medicare patient. Um, so she didn't feel good. She didn't go to the doctor. Uh, she waited till the absolute last moment to go to the doctor. And by the time she went, she actually had metastatic colon cancer. And so there was no treatment for that. And she actually died within a month of being diagnosed. And it's because we don't have preventative healthcare, right? We wait until the worst possible scenario to go seek treatment. And we should be better than that. She was 35 years old. There's no way they would have ever suggested we get a colonoscopy, right? Because we don't start that until age 50. And so it's just like, we have got to be better. We have to treat people like people and not as like calculators and mechanisms about who deserves access and who you know gets what treatment based on, you know, actuaries who make up numbers in the back end. No, that's, that's so true, man, because, um, you know, you're right. Like a lot of times there is a shame that goes with Medicaid. Like our family was on Medicaid for a good portion of the time that we were in college. And, mm -hmm. you know, there absolutely is a shame where you come in and, you know, you say, oh, you're here to see the doctor. And they're like, well, let's see your insurance card. And you hand on the Medicaid card. And they're like, oh, this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, my, my grandfather died when he was 40 years old from colon cancer as well. And so mm -hmm. I got my first colonoscopy when I was 30 because it was like 25. Yeah. It was like, dude, you go and get it done. And I'll tell you, it's not, it's not a ton of fun, but it's better <laughs> than dying at the age of 40. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking back to my work, because we're a state agency, we can only pay Medicaid rate for health services. So let me tell you the struggle of finding medical providers who will accept Medicaid rate. Uh, it is tough. Um, and when we, we, another big piece of my agency is informed choice that our clients get to choose what services they receive and where they receive them. And sometimes that choice is is kind of forced upon them because we don't have a lot of opportunity or, or people who are willing to accept Medicaid rate, even if they don't accept Medicaid, you know, we have to kind of, because it's a lower rate, uh, sometimes it's just like, nah, and, it, and it, our people suffer the most. Yeah, see, and that's why I was, I was, you know, during the presidential campaign, you know, when some of the more moderate candidates were talking about Medicare for all who want it, I was like, this is what's going to happen right here. You know, you're going to get a lot of providers who say, ah, I don't want to take that rate. And then the, the pool of providers that will actually take your government insurance, you know, it's just going to be an extension of Medicaid or Medicare, right? Like there's going to be this shame that goes with that. And it's like, I, I, I've, I've seen this movie, like I already know what's going to happen. And, you know, so Pete Buttigieg, you can talk about that all you want, 
but like mm-hmm. I know what's going to happen if we move in this direction. Like it doesn't it doesn't improve the system necessarily. Well, right. I don't and know. A, but, sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, as, a, as, a, as a state employee, I, I have some of the better insurance that we like. I mean, that's one of the perks to getting paid so little is that we have great health insurance. And BHP and we're double covered, right? So it's like yeah. I got to have a kid for three hundred dollars. Uh, but it's <laughs> but it right. But I still know and I still see the people who don't have access to any health care at all because they need just enough to not qualify for Medicaid and don't make enough to afford something off the marketplace. So. I get it, and I know why it's so important, and I am willing to give up, like, the biggest perk of my job, uh, other than helping people with disabilities, uh, but to give that up so that we can create health care for everyone, uh, because that access- accessibility is just so important. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that's what a lot of people see, is that Medicaid, and you're just going to get stuck in that government pool of poor service, but right mm-hmm. now, it's just our vulnerable and our disabled and those people who are in the pool. And I think mm-hmm. the hope is if we throw everybody else in the pool, the quality of service is going to have to go up. Right. We're going to make them accountable for the service that they provide. And we're going to like quintuple the size of that pool. Right. So right. we're going to have to increase providers. We're going to have to increase what we pay. And so it's just like, that's the system that works. Right. We force the system to adapt rather than like hope capitalism is going to save us. Right, while well, all those people just get untreated. <laughs> and, and and die, right? Like and people die. just die. And go into huge debt. Yeah. But you shouldn't go bankrupt because something traumatic happened in your life that involved your body, the things that you literally can't control. Right. Right? Like yeah. that's terrible. That is terrible. Well, Jamie, the last question I want to ask was so you're from rural Wyoming. Uh what city were you from? Newcastle, Wyoming. In fact, uh they were gonna do their all school reunion this summer, but we are the dogies. Dogies. Uh, the dogies, which is a baby cow. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we use the Makes sense. Horns. Get along, little dogies, right? You know. <laughs> yeah. right. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that that's where I graduated from. So Newcastle is northwest corner, northeast corner. Okay, so it's on the yeah. other side. So if you've ever been to like Mount Rushmore or Crazy Horse, um, you've probably oh. driven through my hometown. Oh, okay. okay. And With then, a gateway to the Black Hills. <laughs> Which and then on fire. <laughs> when you chose to go to college, uh, where did you end up going to the University of Wyoming? Like, where, where did you end up going? You did. Yeah. So, yeah. So I first dabbled um, at Regis University in Denver. That shit was expensive. So I opted instead <laughs> to continue uh, my education at uh, the University of Wyoming, where, I mean, I did it the wrong way. Uh, so it took me six years, uh, but I did it. And I was the first person in my, in fact, I was the first woman in my family to get a high school diploma. So I was definitely the first one uh, in my family overall uh, to get a college degree. Um, And then, um, so I graduated in 2010. And then Ryan, my husband, finished his master's degree in 2011 uh, from the University of Wyoming. And then he got a job at Weber State. So that's why we moved back to Utah. He's born and raised in Salt Lake. Okay. So my question is, if there's a football season, the first game of the season is in Laramie. Yeah, so, I so don't know if you know, but the entire state of Wyoming shuts down <laughs> when there is a football game. Oh yeah, it is. In fact, it's so funny because Laramie during school season and like Laramie during the summers are like two totally different cities. Uh, those of us who live there year round are like, we can't wait for these college kids to go home. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I never actually went to a football game when I was a poke. Uh, it's too busy with debate. So obviously, let's go Wildcats. <laughs> All right. Okay. There you go. That's what he wanted like, to hear. Yeah, it is. Because I was like, dude, it's hard. Because Wyoming has had good teams of late. And I was like, man, this is going to be a tall order for the Wildcats. Playing a I mean, good program in Laramie. My Denver Broncos are where it's at. That, okay. that's, that's my A priority. Supersedes. Okay. <laughs> so uh, let's go back to the campaign and let's just talk about kind of the status of it, where we're at right now and what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're in a uh, primary. Mm-hmm. And so ballots are going to get mailed to people's houses, right? Yes. And Every registered you know, Democrat is going to get a ballot. Not, oh, that's good. And, and, if you're, uh, and if you're not a registered Democrat, you need to call the county clerk's office and ask yes. re- request the Democratic ballot. So if whether you're a Republican or you're a registered independent yeah. or unaffiliated, whatever, like you need to, if you mm-hmm. want the Democratic ballot, you need to call the county clerk's office, request that ballot and they will send it to you. Um, so they're not going to send out the card that says, do you want a, a primary ballot kind of like they would do? Mm-hmm. So my understanding that, I, that I've seen uh, is that if you're a registered Democrat, you kind of like what they did for the presidential primaries, which is if you're registered one party or the other, you get the ballot automatically. You just have to request by a certain date uh, if you want the other party's ballot. Mm. Okay. And even though we mail it to everyone, only about like 12,000 people vote in a primary. Right, so. right. Um, and so do you know our, our ballots out and do you know when they need to, to be in? I don't know those things. Yeah, so actually the Weber County Elections Office shared that information with me. I think they're aiming to have ballots start coming out the middle of June mm. um, and that you have to be registered, I think, by like June 14th um, oh, okay. because we don't have any drive up. Oh, we don't know if we're going to have drive up voting by then, um, but we're definitely not going to have same day registration. So it's really important that you get registered before the election. Okay, so there is still time for people to register to oh, vote yeah. in the primary. Yeah, they got at least... Got at least through May. <laughs> Gets a little dicey in June. <laughs> I was like, "Is it June?" I honestly don't know what month it is. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the really interesting thing that we have, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, is that um, we have Democrats here in Utah who, you know, play loosey goosey with their registration uh, because oh, yeah. sometimes they want to be registered Republicans so that they can oh, have yeah. a say in who they're going to vote for. Um, and we have, going around. Yeah, and we have a very interesting Republican primary happening in June mm-hmm. for both CD1 and four candidates. Yeah, and like four governor's candidates. So I, I hope yeah. stay blue, stay blue. Yeah, come no, vote in our primary. <laughs> don't listen to Kim Gardner, dude. No, that was one of the most engaged posts I've had on Facebook in a while. Where I was like, <laughs> look, I agree. Check your voter registration at vote.utah.gov, but please do not vote in the Republican primary. <laughs> Yeah. So, 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 Jimmy, where where can the JC peeps find out more about your campaign? Where can they, you know, get online to donate, volunteer, yeah. all that good stuff? Social media. Where where can they find out more? Yeah. So, um, we just ordered uh, yard signs from a union print shop down in Salt Lake City. That's where my stimulus check went. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. So, thank you, President Trump. Um, but, uh, so those will be coming in the next week. So if you want a yard sign, uh, just send us an email. We'd love to put it up in your yard. Um, our website is cheek Um, and that's cheek like your face, C H E E K. Um, we have a Facebook page, which is Jamie cheek for Utah. Uh, and then we're super fun on Twitter. So you should follow us there. Uh, and that's at cheek for Utah. Uh, and we also have an Instagram, but we're not very good at Instagram. <laughs> 
It's true. Like IG is like I have I have you know well I guess technically I have four I have in LinkedIn on my phone as well. But like oh yeah. Like but like Facebook, Twitter, IG, like probably mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, IG. If I'm rating them, like IG is the least one. Like ah, you guys have got to get on TikTok. Okay, maybe I'll get on TikTok. Uh, I don't want China to have my face. So that's just <laughs> they've got me. it already. <laughs> you're probably not wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> you're right. If I was any, if I was any funnier, I would totally be on TikTok. Um, but yeah, and then anyway, so we just revamped our website. So if you saw it a month ago, go check it out. Uh, it's a little more minimalized. It's a little more sleek, uh, a little more fun. Um, but that's where you can sign up to volunteer either for call time, uh, because in the world of COVID, we're doing lots of stuff on the phone. Um, someday, if we ever get to go knock doors again, I have over a thousand door knockers uh, to go hang out uh, on the people's doorsteps um and then yeah someday um and then yeah so that's just really the best way to get a hold of us that you can also just send me an email um our email is cheekforutah at gmail.com i'm not really the only one who checks that so you can email for me it's really me (laughs) nice yeah um and and uh uh did we did we talk about the mailer uh, so I mentioned it. Yeah. So right now we are raising funds for a mailer. Uh, we think it's probably going to cost like four thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, so because you need anything, to send it to twelve thousand, fifteen thousand people. Well, twelve. We're we're aiming for ten because we're assuming ten thousand people because we're assuming some of you Democrats live together. And who wants two of anything? Um, so yeah. So that's our big push right now. We want that flyer or that mailer to go out. Um, before the debates on June 1st, our goal is to put the information on how to access the debates um, on that mailer um, and just give you a little bit more information about us. It's also going to have my amazingly cute toddler uh, yeah. on the front of it. So she'll get oh, yeah, you got to have that. <laughs> so, <laughs> she's just my tiny mini me. So it's like. People double. love babies, man. Right? Man, you can't <laughs> beat them. Babies and puppies. Like we should use her six-month photos. Nobody cares that she's three. She was much cuter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been saying that for years about my kids. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, great. Thanks so much, Jamie, for coming on. It was great getting to talk to you for a while. Yeah, no, and like I said, you guys are doing awesome work. Uh, it's been wonderful getting to see you guys at Drinking Liberally. Uh, Colby hosts amazing tailgates, uh, so you all need to be keeping hey, your eye out for that's them. That's right. Jamie <laughs> did come to one of my tailgates at Weaver State. She yeah, I did. So I did. To her, man. <laughs> I've been trying. Um, so yeah. So uh, and then if you, if anybody hears of any opportunities, of you know, you want to give me a call and have a chat or invite me to something like. I got time, so let me know. I'm available. Hey, great. Thanks again. Thank you. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. And I guess, uh, like we say every week, yeah, all politics is local. <laughs>